Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. So, hi and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. Today, my guest is Mike Cameron. And I'm really excited to talk to Mike as much as anything else, because he's Canadian. And, and of course, we in the UK, we love Canadians, don't we? And I've been obsessed quite recently with the programme Corner Gas. And um, I've been watching it religiously. And um, I'm, li- I'm going to be listening out for the word about, because <laughs> I think and I've heard it's the acid test of a Canadian. So good afternoon, Mike. Good afternoon, Russell. How are you? I'm good. Well, I'm Canadian, very good. Canadian, we're kind of the same thing, aren't we? We are. We are. I mean, for goodness sake, you know, we're all part of the same empire, wasn't it? Empire, Commonwealth, that's what it's called now. That yes, is, Commonwealth. Is, yeah. So it's slightly more politically correct. And so tell me where in the world you are. I am in Edmonton, Alberta. So nor- northern Alberta. Yeah. In fact, I think um, I remember um, the Brownleys doing some sort of triathlete massive competition that, that's right there. yeah we ha- we hosted the the itu yeah i'm a, i'm a triathlete or have been in the past i run ultra marathons now i don't do triathlons so much but yeah you're right it was um right in edmonton we had the world triathlon championships for a number of years yes and for those of you who can't see uh, mike at the moment um he has a figure somewhat unlike my own he's swarthy he's toned he's ripped the muscles are rippling across his body um, which puts me to shame. He's got the world's biggest watch on his thing on his hand. I don't know quite what's going on there, but look at the well, size this is of that my watch. running watch. Yes, fantastic. So I, I suspect there will, there's going to be talk of fitness where I'll have to pretend that I know exactly what he is he's talking about. But anyway, Mike, thank you so much for joining us today and um, being a guest on the show. And let's have a chat about life, the universe, and everything. Tell me what it is you you would describe yourself as doing. Well, it's kind of interesting now because I would have told you I'm a professional speaker, but uh, with COVID, that's, that, that's kind of changed things a little bit. I am a serial entrepreneur, uh, philanthropist. I am an advocate for the prevention of gender-based violence. Uh, I recently sold my business back in December of 2019 to really focus on the speaking, getting my message out there. And, and uh, as a result, I ended up now... Uh, with COVID, I haven't been able to get out and, and travel as much. So I do some one-on-one uh, coaching, mostly by rever- referral or, or invitation. Um, and I, I dabble in, you know, I, I try and put, put as much good out into the world as I possibly can. And so 
um, a serial entrepreneur and philanthropist. Tell me more about that. That sounds fascinating. How, how did you get to this place? Well, well, it's interesting. You know, I, I think back to sort of my, my early years, I, I literally started my career, I say, bagging shit, like bagging steer manure. I worked in a garden supply wholesale company uh, when I was 18. And, I, you know, I knew I was, I was destined for greatness. I knew at the age of 18 that I was going to do big things and uh, sort of worked my way through there and, and eventually played hockey with a guy that was uh, making lots of money, having lots of fun in the finance business. And I asked him, you know, how do you do what you do? So he told me and I went out and did all the things I needed to do to get into that space. And ultimately ended up working for his boss or, or actually for him, he, he ended up becoming the vice president uh, of that organization. And uh, ultimately, I worked there for four years. Uh, long story short, I, I ended up moving from I was in Vancouver, British Columbia, so on the west coast of, of Canada, uh, one of the, the big cities in, in Canada. And we had an opportunity as an organization, I was 28 years old, uh, we had an opportunity to open up a branch office uh, about 1500 kilometers east of Vancouver in, in Edmonton. Mm. And for those that, that don't know, Edmonton is not always sort of described as the picture perfect idyllic place to live it's in northern alberta our winters we often have you know 30 30 degrees below zero temperatures it's cold it's snowy so when the opportunity to came came up to open up a branch office out this way uh, there wasn't a whole lot of people putting their hand up and saying mm -hmm. i'll go do it but i was i was young and hungry and uh, so i put up my hand and i said yeah i'm in and as the story goes, I moved out here September 1st of 1997 and October 3rd of 1997. So just a month later, uh, the regulator, the Financial Com Commission's Institution uh, of British Columbia, uh, shut them down. Turns out, largest Ponzi scheme in BC history, a $240 million Ponzi scheme. So wow. here I was, a uh, new face in a new town thought I was at the top of my game. I was opening up a branch office for this company that was just going through the roof. Um, and all of a sudden got the, the rug yanked out from underneath me. And, uh, you know, I had, I don't know, probably 12 to $15 million of, of my own clients, mostly friends and family at, at you know, at that age, yeah. um, money invested in this thing. And I think at the end of the day, we maybe got 10 cents back on the dollar. Ooh after the receivers got in there and um yeah so i was kind of left floundering a little bit on my own and ultimately ended up again i'm consolidating a lot of this but ended up working for one of the major banks for about five years all the while knew at some point i would get back to being my own boss and running my own show so in 2003 i set up my own firm and um like say flash forward to 2019 I ended up selling that so that I could spend more time um, in this arena in the, in the, in the speaking and writing and, and really sharing, sharing my message. And so the philanthropy, what, tell me what that's about. Cause a lot of people, I mean, they always say you, you, you know, you, you can measure a person's worth by where they invest their time, where they really want to, you know, make that difference. And philanthropy is that in a sense, isn't it? 
Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting because growing up, I'm not sure that you would have guessed that I would end up where I am. And I'm not sure I would have guessed I, I would end up where I am. I mean, I, I've always been a very big sort of capitalist and <clears throat> believed in you work hard, you earn hard. Um, definitely more right of center than, <clears throat> excuse me, than anywhere else. Um, but, you know, I think as we age, I'm 51 years old, uh, as we age, our priorities start to change and life experiences um, take us down different twists and turns. So certainly, you know, when the the finance company I worked for went sideways, I mean, you know, at that point in time in my life, I was this badass businessman, I, you know, I, I, I bought a Porsche when I was 26. I, I was living the life. Like I, it, it was, I mean, I'm embarrassed to say it was, it, it was Wolf of Wall Street kind of, yeah. you know, we took chartered jets down to Vegas to, it was ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous. Um, so having sort of lived that and then having to reset, start from scratch, um, really, I think, changes the mindset a little bit. And then the the icing on the cake for me, I mean, I'm not sure that's quite the, the right phrasing, but, but what really sort of put me over the edge uh, in 2015, actually October 2nd, so uh, clearly October is not an awesome month for me. Uh, October 2nd of 2015, my girlfriend was murdered by an ex-boyfriend who subsequently took his own life. Right. And, you know, that really has an impact and you, you start to, to look at, okay, so I, I've, I've had all this material success, this financial success. Uh, I've done extraordinarily well in business, but to what end? Yeah. And, and I started looking at how do I move from success to significance? Mm-hmm. And that really became my mantra. You know, I, I, I'd helped uh, found some, some nonprofits in the, in the housing arena um, and, you know, worked to help get low to moderate income households into home ownership if that was something that was right for them. That was, that was kind of where my, my initial taste was. Um, for the philanthropic side of things. And, you know, I gave back um, a fair bit of money from, from the business I ran. Uh, and then, of course, after Colleen was, was killed, I had a lot of well-meaning friends sort of, you know, talk to me about going after the justice system, which surely failed her. You know, they, they know I'm a champion for a cause. And you know, she'd done all the right things. She had a restraining order. She'd filed the right paperwork. All of the right things had been done. But when I looked at, if we're talking about how do we build a better restraining order, you know, we're really, it, it's akin to putting a Band-Aid on a ruptured jugular. Yeah. And, and I wanted to go back. And as a business guy, my, my sort of forte is always going back to the root of the problem. And, you know, rather than addressing the symptom, let's address the root of the problem. And, and to me, it came down to how do we prevent men like this from existing in the first place? And so I started creating programs to work with, with men in particular, because, I mean, let's face it, as, as men, um, 
you know, while certainly there, there's, there's that element of, of white male privilege, which, yeah. you know, I won't deny and, and, and I embrace that fully, but there's also some, some burden that comes with that. There's this weight that frankly, I mean, we're not allowed to talk about. Yeah. because it's politically incorrect. Well, who are you? Who the hell are you to talk about that? You've got every, you're like middle-aged white dude done well. It, who are you to complain about anything? And again, not to take away from my privilege because I completely acknowledge that, but we also have to acknowledge that it also creates a, a fairly substantial burden on many men. And societally, we just don't have the outlet to deal with that. And, you know, so we end up with record rates of depression, anxiety, you know, suicide rates are, yeah. are four times higher in men than in, in women, men everywhere are hurting. And, you know, when I looked at what is the reason for that? What is the cause of that? You know, I can go back to my roots when I was 18 years old and eventually worked into sales in that garden supply business. And when I was selling, a bag of steer manure to my clients, to the garden supply wholesale or the garden supply companies, um, I realized that, you know, people don't buy a bag of steer manure because they want to own a bag of shit. They, they buy a bag of steer manure because they ultimately want the feeling that growing a beautiful rose bush or flower garden is going to give them. And so I started to, to recognize that, you know, my customers bought on emotion and justified it by logic. And, you know, when I bought that Porsche, when I was 26 years old, the sales guy that sold me that thing, he knew that full well. He got me in the car, he sat me down and he stroked that leather and he started the engine. He, you know, the purr of the, the engine, the roar of the engine. And he, he started talking to me about what would this feel like if you could drive this up that Sea to Sky Highway to Whistler? The grip of the road, the wind in your hair as the tops down. Wouldn't you just feel like the king? Yeah. And, you know, so I, I started to recognize that, you know, not only do we buy on emotion, but as human beings, we make decisions based on emotion. And I started really working as a, as a future leader in business, figuring out how I can make that emotional connection with, you know, first it was my customers. And then as I got into business and led my own organization, how do I make that emotional connection with my team? because I recognized that productivity was directly, relate, directly related to how my, my team felt at any given moment. And so when I looked at what happened to Colleen, you know, this was a man that made a decision with very permanent consequences based on a very temporary emotion. And as men, you know, we've been taught to avoid suppress or bury any kind of feeling whatsoever. And to me, that emotional disconnection, I mean, Russell, that's, in my mind, that's the number one threat facing humanity right now. Because okay, so Blanny, you've given us tons to unpack there. So yeah. wh where do we start? So well, let's start with where you got to. Um, so you're talking about emotional connection. Uh, and it's, it's, it's frequently a complaint of some women, not all women that men aren't in touch with their emotions or feelings. And let's not get into the whys and wherefores or such like what these things are. But do you think that's true? And if so, why? I, I do tend to think that that is generally true. 
Um, I think the reason is because there are, there are these societal pressures on men. We've, you know, for hundreds or maybe even thousands of years, we've been taught that we need to be the provider. We need to be the strong one. And we confuse strength with burying, suppressing, or avoiding. Yeah. Um, when, you know, and again, this, when Colleen was killed, I had so many well-meaning friends surround me, pat me on the back and, and they'd tell me to be strong. Yeah. But, but I got to tell you, Russell, like I, I didn't want to be strong. I wanted to no. curl up into a little ball and I wanted to cry like a baby. Yeah. And, and, and why should, and why should you be strong? Well, exactly. Well, and, and that's the thing, like, while I love them for their intention, I mean, it just saddens me that our Western culture's version of strength is to suck it up and remain stoic and bury it and avoid and, and you know, just crush those feelings, get over it. Yeah. And the reality is true strength is about having the courage to sit with those emotions, feel them, observe them, and learn from them what yeah. we can and just slow down. And, and so, that, and so, so what you're saying is that it's okay because there's a disconnect sometimes between having the rage or the anger or the violence or the, that thing where you're in some setting and your kids are driving you nuts and all that sort of stuff. There's, there's that difference between knowing, knowing you're going to go pop and doing something about it. And I think that's the first phase, isn't it? It's that, well, actually this is quite normal and yes. You know, this is actually a normal reaction, but it's just in the wrong place. For sure. I mean, the feeling is going to be there. Yeah. So I, so I use, so I, so I founded an organization called Connected Men, which creates spaces for men to get together to literally practice feeling. Yeah. And we use the framework SOAR, S-O-A-R, slow down, open up, accept whatever's coming up, so we can reconnect with our emotional self. Yeah. So we can reconnect with our purpose. We can reconnect with our true self. So yeah, the first step is just taking that pause. Slowing down. Hmm. Open up to what I'm feeling. And, and for me, in this sort of work, I think the thing that's missed often is the rehearsal element. Because what we tend to do is we tend to expect people to be, so that we take the most challenging scenario and we say, just, just launch yourself into the most challenging scenario that I ever have in practices before. And so I like the fact that you're coaching and you're guiding and you're mentoring because actually getting together and talking about this stuff and practicing it and rehearsing it, it means that you're ready for it when, when that pressure cooker environment arrives. Is that a fair sort of, yeah, brilliant. I, I love that you pulled that out because that's, that's exactly, I often talk about preparing in the calm for the coming of the storm. Yeah. Because we know the storm is coming at some point. Yeah. We may not know when. And I mean, God forbid, hopefully it's not your girlfriend being murdered, but something is going to come and something is going to turn your life upside down. Chances are something is going to happen yeah. so yeah when we can practice in advance then we're prepared for that and one of the one of the easiest ways to do that you know if you've got any kind of commute you probably experience it daily somebody cuts you off in traffic you get annoyed you get frustrated because you miss a light or the guy in front of you 
doesn't turn fast enough so you miss the light. So just using that and reframing that from an annoyance into an opportunity. Yeah. Okay. I can just slow down. Open up. I'm feeling annoyed right now. Acceptance. That's okay. I can feel annoyed. And then I can just reconnect with who I am. And, you know, for me, one of the, the things I do, once I've sort of gone through that practice, then then comes the the decision around the behavior. So, you, you know, you talked about the violence yeah. and rage and that. I mean, that's, so we've got to disconnect the feeling from the behavior. Yes. You may not have an option on the feeling. You absolutely have an option on the behavior. Well, it's so, a pure choice, isn't it? Yeah. One, one of the questions I ask myself is, what would the man I want to be do yeah. in this situation? Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and, and all this touchy, I mean, some men would say, this is all lovely, but it's very touchy feeling, not for me and such like. But there are actual physiological and health benefits from being able to control, especially the strongest emotion, which you might argue is fear or anger. So we're talking more about anger here. And it is actually doing you harm to allow your anger to rule your life in a way. Is that true? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, there's physical, there's physical things that come up when we avoid and suppress. Um, there's a book called the body keeps the score. Yeah. Um, Gabor Mate, I can't remember the name of his book. I don't know if you're familiar with his work. Uh, Dr. Gabor Mate wrote a book um, around that and he talks about he's sort of an addictions expert. So he yes. talks it, about it in the context of addictions, but, but he also talks about how, how these, um, you know, avoiding these things do show up physically and, you know, you can avoid as much as you want, but it's coming up somewhere. Yeah. And whether that's as rage or maybe it's insomnia for many people, that's how it manifests. Um, there's all kinds of different ways that it comes up. You, you just, you can't avoid it. Yeah. So again, when we slow down and open up and that open up is twofold. It's one open up to ourselves to really look yeah. in the mirror and open to what we're feeling. And then the second part, and this is what we create in our, in our men's groups is the opportunity to open up and say, Russell, I'm feeling a little anxious right now. Mm. This podcast is really important to me. I don't want to let you down. I don't want to let your audience down. I'm just, I'm, I'm feeling a little anxiety. And when, when I can open up and I can share that, you know, all of a sudden, like it just starts to dissipate. Yes. And I can accept, okay, that's how I'm feeling. Great. So this, All right, so this let's go. So there's two other bits of it then from listening to that, that example. So there's the, I love the idea of the acceptance because I think of the four stages, actually that's the most, in a way it's the most important, it's the most important one. But the, the other thing that you've just demonstrated there is that you have to get over this idea of being judged all the time. Because Story if you're being, judged, yes, caring yes. what people are thinking about you, because this idea that, you know, that you're anxious because I don't want you to let you down. And, and I know you're using that to illustrate it, but we spend far too much time being obsessed about the external view of us, that judgment, 
which actually gets in the way of that acceptance, doesn't it? Because we're living our life against somebody else's standard. And that makes it hard to, it's like you're talking about white prejudice, isn't it? You know, that's a, an external benchmark that's been applied to us. And now we're all sitting, sitting here going, well, I don't know what the benchmark is. I know there's one there. I'm going to notice it when I knock my head on it. And, and somehow we've got to get this back to ourselves and saying, we need to know ourselves, need to know our emotions. And we need to know our emotions when they're actually making us ill or they're, they're generating a difficult choice for us to do the right thing at that moment in time. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. I mean, the acceptance piece is huge. Um, and, and that's, like I said, that's the practice is brilliant when we do it. Like, there's just this magic that happens when a group of guys get together with intention. And we can practice that self-acceptance because if we don't, I mean, and I think most people can probably relate to this. So you start to feel bad about X, Y, Z, and then you start thinking, okay, well, but I shouldn't feel bad about that. That's a natural reaction. So now we start feeling bad about feeling bad and it becomes this whole big downward spiral that we can't get out of. Yeah. So it's just about accepting that, you know, this is how I feel. And, 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 and I like that idea because that makes sense that what you just said, that spiral, because one of the many frustrations I'm guessing in domestic violence is that often, often that frustration comes from the way either situationally things are happening or the way that it's been worked out between the parties. And once the emotional ante has risen, what you end up doing is communicating in a, such a negative way that it drives the anger upwards so you right. get this cascade effect, don't you, that comes from the differences that are sort of there between men and women often in marriages. And, and I'm guessing you need to, to somehow learn to not just manage your own process downwards, but that communication process between both parties. Otherwise, domestic violence is, is a big problem. Looking at COVID, I mean, we, we knew there's going to be more deaths, more, more um, divorce, uh, more pregnancies, but definitely more domestic violence. And that's just been the case, hasn't it? Because it's created this pressure cooker where people have had to look at someone and decide they really don't like them and then they're stuck there. And then everything is like a pinprick driving and driving and driving you towards, you know, committing acts that you really probably won't be proud of in the future. In the future. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, it, it's about, you know, we use the term holding space. Yeah. And that's that acceptance piece, again, for ourselves, we practice it in our, in our men's group, creating a space for guys to actually share what's going on with them without, without judgment. And, and this is, you know, we come back to however you're feeling, even, you know, with the, with the Black Lives Matter. Um, if, if, if I have a racist thought or I've been brought up with racism in my, in my background, I mean, clearly there's going to be something there. But if I can't articulate that, if I don't have a safe space to actually share that and where that comes from for me, then I just bury it and and the behavior continues. Um, So it's really about creating that space. And the same holds true in, in relationships. It's not about fixing things. It's not about defensive. You know, I mean, Gottman's got, John Gottman's got all kinds of wonderful tools on on relationship work. So if, if your listeners are, are interested in, in the relationship stuff, Dr. John Gottman is, has got some yeah. fantastic stuff uh, around that. But it's really just about 
being able to hold that space again without judgment for your partner or however they're feeling and and this is one of the things that that my partner Michelle and I now do regularly is just that check in and what are you feeling and you know I'm I'm feeling annoyed because xyz and this is just my feeling this isn't about your behavior this is just what I'm feeling so let's work through that and, and you know and you don't have to, to and you don't have to fix me no, ex- exactly, exactly. And the beauty is we've had that conversation early in our relationship so that if I go into fix-it mode, she can very quickly just say, hey, and, and actually one of the things I will do with her and, and she with me is I'll ask, do you want empathy or do you want strategy? Yeah. And then she can just say, you know what, I do. I want some strategy right now. Okay, so I'll listen. And then I'll say, okay, well, what if we did X, Y, and Z? Yeah. Or if she just said, you know what? I just need empathy right now. It's like, all right, my role here is just to sit back, listen, nod my head, smile, and give her a hug. Yeah, I like that. I think that's a, that's a very useful thing that most of us, I, I think most of us know it, but what we've never done is articulate it. So everybody knows it. And I think that's the key, isn't it? Because because you know when you you can laugh about it and joke about it, you can say, "Oh, I'm in the wrong mode now, won't I? I'm I'm back in the we've got we've got some different words, but the same sort of idea." And um, I think that's that having that open construct in a marriage is is that way you because you're not saying it's wrong. What you're saying is, "Well, actually, how do you want me to respond?" And vice versa. That's so important as well, isn't it? Because well, this comes- a lot of communications based around the idea that we men are wrong, or that we men are bad in some way and actually the reverse can be true you know women are can be poor communicators can't they let's be honest yeah absolutely well it it comes back to the difference between expectation and agreement yeah right and i I did a, a piece on this recently where i talk about resentment comes when we hold somebody accountable to expectations we don't have agreement on yeah exactly so if my expectation of you is x y and z and you're not behaving that way and and i you know, start resenting you because you're behaving somewhere else. But we've never actually had agreement. I've never actually said, so Russell, I expect when we have this conversation that you're going to give me X number of minutes to talk. You're not going to interrupt me. You're going to this or you're that. But if we haven't, if I haven't got agreement, if that's my expectation, but I don't have agreement from you, that's problematic. I mean, years ago, um, we created a structure called, it was very business based. So it was, yeah, it was at the time when business process reengineering was all the rage and, and organizations. And we used to call it relationship process reengineering because why, why invent a new wheel? And it was this idea that you recontract on mm-hmm. a regular basis. And you know, you accept most marriages, actually, if you've survived 10 years, we need a major recontract. But once a year, you settle down and you say, okay, let's have a look at our, we call it a happy, after, a happy ever after contract. And you right. say those really good things because actually things change and expectations change and accountabilities change as well, don't they? And, yes. I, think, and I think that's really important. Yeah, well, again, it comes back to being intentional yeah. with all of these things. Love it, yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's when I coach, this is what I talk about is is i help my clients live a life by design rather than by default yeah and i think for many of us we live by default the way we've always known and we just go we go we go but we don't actually take the time whether it's with our partner 
or, or with ourselves to sit down and reflect on, okay, what do I actually want my life to look like? Or what do I actually want my business to look like? And then reverse engineering that and, you know, how do we get there? Yeah. And I think that's, I can't, I can't reemphasize that message enough because the by design is the key, isn't it? Because yes. a lot of people sit in relationships or in businesses and go, how the hell did I get here? Well, you got here because, because <laughs> you didn't intend anything. So you, you got what you, you got what you're given really, because yes. if you have nothing, you always get what you've got. So I like that idea of doing things by design. I think that makes an enormous amount of sense. And so, so do you have wider structures? I mean, have you captured any of your ideas in a more uh, profound way that people could get their hands on and read more? Oops. And talk about more, more about your work. I mean, have you written a book, for example? Uh, I oh, might have oh actually, my God. As if by I magic. might have actually written a book. Tell me more. Yeah, this, one, this one's, it's called uh, Becoming a Better Man. When something's got to change, maybe it's you. And it's it's funny because oftentimes when I when I hear from people that have read it, they 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 say, you know, I I completely expected a, a a preachy how to book, but it's really it's just my story. I've had kind of three major, um, what you would probably call traumas or or, or tragedies in my life, um, and so I just tell my story and and walk through the lessons that I've learned in there, and and I talk about some of these concepts. Um, I'm a big believer in, like I said, being intentional by design. So when I learn something, I will try and take that and distill it down into something bite-sized or some acronyms, um, you know, the SOAR framework, uh, slow down, open up, accept, reconnect. Uh, you know what? I talk about why I stopped setting goals and I, I don't set goals anymore. I set values, intentions, and milestones. So I kind of outline that framework. So, so I'm big on frameworks versus um, this is what you should do because, you know, I don't care how much research has been done. Most of it hasn't been done on me and yes. I, I may respond differently. So I need to experiment, but I, you know, the more, the more frameworks I, I can have to, to do that, you know, I, you can certainly learn from the success of others in your past, but to apply it to your own life, you've got to do that in your own unique way. And so if people wanted to find out more about you, Mike, uh, how would they do that? Uh, MikeCameron.ca is my website. I also do uh, weekdays at 8.30 Mountain Time, uh, MikeCameron.ca slash Facebook. I do a Facebook live show and I just hop on and sort of share my thoughts or sometimes interview folks. Good. And I LinkedIn as well, that sort of stuff? And, and I'm on LinkedIn as well, yeah. Good. Excellent. Mike, Mike, Michael Cameron on LinkedIn, I think. Oh, the posh version, I see. That's very good. There's yes. lots of Mike Camerons in the world, aren't there? It's tricky, isn't it? So, yes. so today, I mean, you've really made me think about four things, I think. Um, there's probably been more than these, but let me, just, let me just rattle them through to make sure I've got, the, got these things right in my head. Uh, you can mark my work. So you've talked a lot about success to significance, and I, I really love that. I think that's a, a – I think that's – that's an interesting thing about the way our lives move, isn't it? And it's an interesting thing for men to think about, isn't it? Because we are driven. It's almost like the three ages of man, that one. I quite like that. I like the idea that we life is intentional by design. And so our relationships. And I love the idea of soul. So and how we accept ourselves. Um, have we taken the right messages out of our chat today? 
Yeah, I think that's that's exactly it. You're happy. Good. It might have been a joy. And I know we could go and chat for ages, and you're one of the people I find extremely easy to talk to. And you and I could be going in another three hours, but I need to be respectful of your time. So I'm going to say thank you so much. And uh, it's been a joy. And um, I wish you all the best with the work. And uh, I shall be coming to see you on Facebook one of these days because it's, it's in the end of the day for us in the UK. So I'll be joining you soon. Right. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. And you take care. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed. And if you're in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.